Good. Well, it's a special day uh, with us here, and I'm super excited to share with you about it. Let me, let me lead in like this this morning. Um, have you, can you think of a, of a time in the last, say, few weeks where you've been waiting for something? Can you? Okay. You, you can think of something for which you have been waiting, or maybe you're with people who are waiting for something. Give me some examples. For what have you been waiting? Very nice Amazon package, Gwen. Good call. I was yesterday as well. Something else? Okay, somebody to find a home. Good. For what are you waiting? A phone call. A phone call. Absolutely. Sometimes that's that's a good one, Daryl. Somebody else. Yes, Julian. A prodigal kid. A prodigal kid. Yeah. Somebody to return home to the faith is what you mean, right? Yeah. Good. Something else? For what have you been waiting? Okay, somebody's pregnant. That's good news. Good, the arrival of the baby. Yeah, good. So we went to a concert. My wife and I were given a gift uh, last uh, a while ago, and last Sunday night was the concert. And uh, so we arrive uh, barely in time for the show. It's one of those kind of arrivals where you're you're feeling frantic because you've been rushing and trying to find parking. And then we get there only to wait. And we waited a while, and the opening act took forever to come out, and they finally did come out. And then after they played like three or four songs, there was another big period of waiting uh, when we were waiting for like the main act, like the, the headliner, the, the one that we had all come to see. And we were waiting long enough that it, it was sort of a tangible we're all waiting now. Like if you looked around the theater, uh, that's what we were all doing. If you would have asked anybody in the theater, what are you doing? They would have said, well, we're waiting. If you would have asked anybody in the theater, what are you thinking about? They would have said, I'm thinking about how I'm waiting. I, I've been waiting for a while. And, I'm, I'm, and I, so I started to just look around, around me in Crest Theater, which is a beautiful place. And I'm just seeing all kinds of people who are very different from me. They look different, different ages, different backgrounds, right? But at that moment and in that time, we had this one thing in common. We were all waiting for the same thing, right? And so in a, in a sense, it was our waiting and what we were waiting for that was defining us in that moment. It was a really interesting thing. Like if you have said, who are those people in that room and that moment, we could have accurately said, well, we are the waiting ones, we have nothing in common except for this one thing. We are waiting for someone specific to come out of that curtain. But at that moment and in that space, that was what defined us, and that was what united us, and that's what we had in common. And so in a sense, it's what, it's what defined us. In a sense, you are defined by that for which you are uh, waiting okay. So um, last week, we asked the question, who is coming Last week was the first week of Advent. We asked the question, who is coming? And the quick answer to that question is, well, the Messiah is coming. Um, the core conviction of the Christian church is that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who is the anointed one of God, the chosen one of God, the long-expected rescuer of the world. So I presented Jesus last week. Just, this is just by way of a little background to where we're headed today. I presented Jesus as the prophet like Moses as a priest like David, I mean like Aaron, and a king like David. And so the reason that was important is because the dominant messianic expectations or the, the, the hopes about the Messiah that were held in common by the Jewish people during the intertestamental period, that's quite a sentence, huh? Uh, between the Old Testament and New Testament, these several hundred years where we're just waiting, 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 were essentially this. 
Well, the Messiah will be a prophet. Or maybe the Messiah is going to be a priest. Or maybe the Messiah is going to be a king. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he fulfills all of those expectations, but not in the way anybody expects him to. And it'd be easy to criticize, but we probably would have missed it as much as anybody because this is what happens with us as well. We expect Jesus to show up in certain ways. He almost never fits into our expectations. And so often we are the ones who are waiting and yet we're missing him because he's not showing up in the way that we uh, expect him to. And so this is what I tried to do at the end of last week's sermons. I tried to apply this, uh, this history to us today with this simple question. Is there room in your life today for Jesus? Like what you believe about what happened in the past is very important. What you hope will happen in the future is very important. But the question last week was, is there room today for Jesus in your life, the Jesus who will not fit into perfectly, fit into your expectations, who will probably show up in your life in ways that you don't quite expect him to show up? And this is not just about Jesus in the past. This is not just about Jesus in the future. We miss the point if we remove from ourselves this this expectation that Jesus will come now, here, today, that he is constantly coming. Um, This openness and this willingness to accept and embrace the Christ who comes continually, who is always knocking, who is constantly pursuing us as the true lover of our souls. So that was last week, who is coming? The question we want to ask this week is, who is waiting? Who is waiting? And the quick answer to that is, well, we are. We're waiting. And to a significant degree, it is our waiting for Jesus that defines us. It's what many of us in this room this morning have in common. Different backgrounds, different perspectives on a lot of issues, but one of the things we probably share, at least many of us, is that we are waiting for Christ. Um, And it's not just us, it's not just we who wait for the Messiah On on a huge cosmic level. Paul says all of creation is longing for the Messiah, is waiting, is groaning like uh, in the pains of childbirth. All of creation is waiting for the coming Messiah. That's the big, it's about as big as I can imagine. And then on a real specific and peculiar and, uh, I mean, particular level is uh, a group, a family who is waiting, a specific race who is waiting, a specific people who are waiting. And these are the Jewish people. This is the, this is the family called out by God through which God reveals himself and his will to the world. We read about them in scripture continually. And I'm so honored today to be able to introduce you to a new friend of mine. He's the rabbi of Beth Yeshua Congregational Messianic Congregation in Sacramento. So would you welcome friends with me today, Rabbi Joshua Rubenstein. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks. So glad you're here. It's wonderful to be here. Good. I'm going to ask Josh just a couple of questions so you can get to know him just a little bit. This is a, we'll start with a huge one, and maybe you can try to just give us a couple of elements to this, because um, this could last all morning. But tell us a couple of factors that contributed to how you became a rabbi. That's a big story. I know. Um, so uh, my dad was a rabbi before me, also a Messianic Jew. So I'm a second generation uh, Messianic Jew, and I'm raising little babies uh, who will be third generation Messianic Jews. 
And so um, I wasn't expecting to be a rabbi. In fact, I feel like much of my life, I was expecting something else entirely. And God just was like, over here. So about seven years ago, um, my, uh, my father was diagnosed with a very aggressive cancer. And uh, my wife and I, we were actually on our way to Israel. That's what we thought. We thought that God was calling us to Israel to go and to live among the Jewish people and to love Yeshua, to love Jesus in the midst of our people. And, uh, and it was my mom, in fact. There she is back there. Um, and she actually took me out into a hospital uh, hall. And she said, have you prayed about being the rabbi of Beth Yeshua? And I said, I don't need to. I already know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> Which you should know better than to say to your mom, because your mom was like, really? You know, and right. so I felt like she wanted to grab me by the ear and be like, well, actually, I think you should pray. And um, so I prayed, and I really felt like God said, yes, I want you to lead Beth Yeshua. Wow. So um, it, was, um, it was a calling that kind of was dropped on me. I didn't necessarily think of it when I was young. Yeah, good. Great answer. So sometimes I feel like I lead a messy congregation, mm, and you lead too. a messianic congregation. We're both. Yeah, we're we're good, both. Right? So, and you referred to yourself just now as a messianic Jew. Yes. Uh, Beth Yeshua is a messianic congregation. Can you explain that? What does that mean? Yeah, so in our community, we have both Jews and Gentiles. So Jewish people ethnically born from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and all of us in love with Jesus, Yeshua, as we often call him, uh, of Nazareth, the Messiah. Turns out not just the Messiah of the Jewish people, but also of the nations, of all, right? And, uh, and so we actually walk out in our community. Uh, maybe you've read through the book of Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, and you've wondered, what is Paul writing about? Why are there issues between Jews and Gentiles? Like, that makes no sense at all. We live that every week, mm -hmm. making a home for Jewish families in our community where they can be faithful to their calling to live as Jews and also faithful to Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Mm -hmm. See, it's hard sometimes for Jewish people to have a home within a traditional synagogue and love Jesus there because mm -hmm. so much hurt has been done to the Jewish people in the name of Jesus mm -hmm. that he is the one bridge too far. You can't believe in Jesus. You could believe in anything else, mm -hmm. but not Jesus, right? And sometimes it's also hard for Jewish people to find a home in a church because a church often will say to a Jewish person, you don't really need Jewish identity anymore. Mm. You, can, you can let all that go. You're redeemed now. You have a new life in Messiah, which is true. Mm -hmm. And yet there is a calling upon the Jewish people, a prophetic destiny mm -hmm. that Paul says was never abrogated. It was never done away with. The gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. And so the calling for the Jewish people to live faithful, covenantal life as Jews and to love Yeshua, to love Jesus in the midst of the Jewish people is a profound one. Mm -hmm. So we make a home for that, and we also make a home for what we call Messianic Gentiles. There are so many Gentiles who are having this awakening of, did you know Jesus was a Jew? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Did you know that the disciples were all Jews? And they come and they have this conversation yeah. with me. And I'm like, yes, yes, I did. Actually, And so they, they come and they're like, well, we want to explore what that means. Yeah. And what does that look like to be a, a branch mm -hmm. growing out of a Jewish root, yeah. right? And so we make a home for both in our community. Um, and so Galatians, Ephesians, Book of Romans, chapter 14, that's life for us. Wow, that's great. So good. 
This is going to be fun. All right, yeah. so our, our uh, challenge together this morning is to explore together what it means to be the waiting ones, mm. what it means to be those who are defined in part, and hopefully increasingly, by that for which we wait, uh, or the one for which we wait. So in a sense, we are the bride waiting for the groom. That's to use a biblical metaphor. Uh, the way that Americans typically picture the wedding, it, which might be helpful, we're like the groom, and we're waiting for the bride, the doors to open up in the back of the church, and for the bride to come down. Uh, either way you look at it, um, whatever kind of cultural background, we are, the, we are the waiting ones. So let's explore this a bit more deeply. Uh, I'll talk about from from a New Testament perspective. I'll hand it off to Josh. We'll go back and forth a couple of times, all right? Would you pray that God will, um, would, would really do something beautiful here this morning? Lord, we welcome you as we have already again uh, into this place and into our hearts. And I pray that um, the temperature on our waiting would increase in, in this moment and as a result of this gathering this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so let me, let me kick off with the New Testament. One of the, one of the dynamics that we see associated with the idea of waiting in the New Testament, these are, and so the New Testament is the writings of, uh, of and about, or, yeah, about Jesus, the, the stories of the life of Jesus, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the letters that are written to the church. We refer to the New Testament this morning. We're talking about pretty much anything after uh, Jesus is born. And one of the associations of waiting that we read about in the New Testament is this sort of this sense of being lost. So maybe you could write that down. There's a lostness that sort of is in the fabric of the culture of the New Testament. There's a sense of confusion. There's a lack of direction, a lack of orientation. Um, and it's almost like by this time, people have been waiting for so long that they've almost sort of forgotten what they're waiting for. You get the, almost the sense that there's a loss of hope, almost like you feel when you, when you feel like you're lost. Uh, in the writings of the New Testament, humanity is pictured as lost, as, as looking to be found. Uh, hum, the picture of humanity that we can easily come away with from the New Testament there's a, ver a bunch of adjectives, but one of them is lost and needing to be rescued. So let me give you three quick examples of what I'm talking about. The first two chapters of Luke's gospel, we read about two births. The second chapter is the birth of Christ to Mary. We're pretty familiar with that story. In the first chapter of Luke, we, we read about the birth of another baby to a couple named uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. What's interesting about them is that they're so old. And so their baby is going to be John, who becomes John the Baptist. After John the Baptist is born, he plays a critical role in, pro in proclaiming uh, who Jesus is. After he's born, Zechariah, that's the father, he prays this, and I'll put this on the screen because it's brief. He, said, he, he declares that what they've been waiting for is finally come, and he says this, to rescue us from the hand, should say, from the hand of our enemies, and to enable us to serve God without fear. So you get the sense that Zechariah and Elizabeth and their community have been waiting a long, 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 long time, and now they feel kind of lost, maybe even a little bit afraid in their waiting so long that when they finally get a sign of God's interaction with humanity, they feel like they're being rescued, okay? It's not just like, well, that was nice of you, God, to sort of interact with. It was like, he hasn't forgotten us. It's been 450 years since a prophet was in the land, right? And so it's the sense of being rescued. Here's a second example. 
of humanity feeling lost. In one of the early stories of um, John's gospel, that he's calling disciples to himself. He's calling people to follow him. And in verse 45 of the first chapter, Philip, who's one of the first followers of Jesus, he finds this guy named Nathaniel, and he says, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophet spoke, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And the response from Nathaniel is this, can anything good come from there? And so Philip says, well, come and see. And so you got one guy, Philip, he's like, we found the one. And then it's like they've been looking for him. It's like they've been waiting and looking. The verb is interesting, is it not? We found him. Um, and then the response of the other reveals kind of the condition of his heart. Can anything good come from that place? Like, are you kidding me, Nazareth? Please. Like, it, I, I've heard a lot of good ones, but not, not, none is quite as good as that. It's kind of like when your kid's like, I can't find the thing. And you're like, well, have you looked under your bed? And they're like, ah, seriously, under my bed? I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. That's a terrible idea. Of course, it's not under my bed, right? That's sort of the feeling that you get with this. Like the looking process has lasted so long and it's become so frustrating that they just feel pointlessly lost. Well, we found him. Yeah, whatever. Okay. A third example of, that shows how the waiting ones eventually become the lost ones is from later in Jesus's ministry, Matthew chapter nine. This shows up in a couple of places, but there's a scene in which Matthew describes Jesus looking over this huge crowd of people and Matthew writes, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, these people were lost. They, they were helpless, and, and Jesus recognizes this is the condition. Here he is. He's looking over his people who have supposedly been waiting for him for so long, and yet they've been waiting for maybe so long that he describes them. He just sees them as, oh, these people are just lost. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you walk into a room or you walk into a, a setting or you walk into a house where there's confrontation or conflict or, or you step into a, a situation at work and you just go, oh my goodness, these people are lost, right? They're, they're helpless. They don't even know where to look for help right now. I think about our culture. I think about our whacked out priorities, I think about the way that confusion just reigns and dialogue is about this shallow and we can't even get anywhere. It's, I just feel like, man, we're, we're helpless. We're, we're, like a, we're like sheep without a shepherd. So this idea of, this idea of um, being lost and needing a rescue, it resonates with me. Uh, in our waiting, we feel lost. In, in, in a lot of ways, in our waiting, we are lost, right? We are lost. All right. It's not a wonder that the Jewish people at that point in history feel lost. If you think about it, the prophecy of a Messiah goes all the way back to Abraham. It goes all the way back to Abraham, right? Through you, I will bless all of the nations. There's a prophetic destiny that they've been waiting for for hundreds and thousands of years. They're waiting and waiting and waiting. And at some point, it's really easy in our waiting to become heart sick. It's very easy in waiting and in longing to become discouraged. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever waited for something for so long yeah. that you just began to lose hope? Mm -hmm. And I just want to encourage you today by elevating the sweetness of what God is doing in the midst of waiting. That's good. Yeah. There's a sweetness and there is a life in expectancy. 
that is incomparable in many ways to any other way that God gets a hold of us. You know, the first commandment that really separates Avram, Abram, um, is lech lecha, get up and go. That's what God tells him. And God says, and I'm not going to tell you where. Get up and go. So he enters into a journey from the very beginning in which there is no destination and his whole reality is obedience. Hmm. Yeah. Now, there's a sweetness in the wandering, there's a sweetness in the waiting, but there's also a revelation of where our heart is at. Um, I'll just tell on myself a little bit. What reveals your heart and where you're really at spiritually? Is it when you walk in the front door here at Emmaus? Or is it the car ride on the way here? Now, I was running late this morning, okay? I was supposed to be here at 8.30. And when I finally punched in the coordinates on, on Google Maps, it was like 8.41. I was like, no, 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 no. And so I have a Prius, which is, you know, powered by gerbils. And, and so, like, I'm, I'm stomping on this thing. Like, I'm going to, like, and I'm going up on two wheels on Blue Oaks Road. And I'm in and out of minivans. And people are looking at me like, who is the crazy Jew? Because I've got the keeper on. And, and it's not great. And inside of me, there's this revelation of fear. I don't want to disappoint Pastor Nathan. I don't want to be embarrassed by being the special speaker who, like, can't find the place. And the service has already started, and I run up on the middle of the platform like, you know, just all of this anxiety and all of this fear. And God begins to point in the midst of that to the reality that I need redemption. See, the journey is really, really important to God. And in the journey... I want to say that there are two things that it's really easy for us to do, kind of two pitfalls. One is for us to become complacent. Yeah. One is that we've been waiting for so long that we don't even know how to wait anymore and we lose hope. And that is the beauty and the power of liturgical life. What you guys are entering into right now in this season in which you're saying every year at this time, we're going to expectantly wait for Jesus. Good. Yeah. We are going to devote all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to longing for him mm -hmm. until he comes is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. That liturgical tradition grows right out of the Jewish root. Right. In the Torah, in the Tanakh, we read over and over and over again that there are seasons, that there are festivals that God is bringing us into every single year. And every single time we celebrate it, it's supposed to get a hold of our heart. God is revealing something and he's saying, how about you come this way with me in the journey? How about you surrender this fear, Josh? What is that fear really doing for you anyways? So one of the things that we celebrate on a regular basis is Sukkot. You may have heard of this. Uh, Sukkot is one of the, in fact, mandatory festivals for the Jewish people of actually pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the holy city. 
and you're supposed to go and you're supposed to construct booths and live in the booths for seven days. Like, it's supposed to be, you know, pretty rustic. You're not supposed to have power and stuff, although a lot of people build booths and then, like, run an extension cord out to it, you know, and, like, they got couches and space heaters and stuff. Some people have really fancy booths, but I think <laughs> of it more as, like, a tent. Now, the sweetness of this commandment is that every year as we celebrate this and we live in booths for seven days, that it's not a punishment. It's not God saying, look how you blew it in the past. Look, look at all of this, you know, that you've built up and look how fancy your life has become. No, it's actually a sweetness of remembering that all you need is God. Whatever you have filled your life with, all you need is God. A tent and God. And so I just want to encourage you as you guys are living liturgical life. And I just want to encourage you even to explore the liturgy of your Jewish root because it's yours. It's yours to explore. And this liturgy that you're involved in right now, this continual reminding and this expectant hope for Messiah is a powerful, powerful thing. And it will shake you out of complacency. It will surround you with other people whose hearts are turned in the right direction. And that complacency that we can so easily fall into will be broken every single year as you come together and you sing songs of longing, mm -hmm. Emmanuel, God with us. There will be a day mm -hmm. when you'll go up to Jerusalem too. Did you know Sukkot is for the nations also? Hmm. It actually says this. Uh, it's in one of the prophecies. Let me just read it if I can find that prophecy in my notes. Yeah. It says this in Zechariah 14, 16. And this is after some cataclysmic events. And it says, Then the survivors from all of the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. We're going to go to Jerusalem together, you and I. Did you know that? And we're going to do Jew stuff together. It's going to be super fun. <laughs> and I'm going to introduce Pastor Nathan to Rabbi Nathan, my homie, and we're all going to, like, hang out. Nice. And, like, maybe Sweet. Yeshua, maybe Jesus will come by our tent and hang out with us. It'll be really amazing. And then the second thing I just want to encourage you toward is that the rabbis teach that this time of wandering for the Jewish people, when they came out of slavery and they went towards the promised land and their hearts were not ready to be in the promised land because they still had a slave heart. God, it was essentially as if God's driving them in the minivan to church and everybody is a hot mess. <laughs> Everyone is screaming. There's rebellion. Somebody, like, jumps out a window at a stop sign, and, like, you, there's a fire suddenly. Are you kidding me? And a golden calf, you know. It's like, what? We are on the way to church. Are you kidding? We're turning this around. And then all the kids are like, no, we're going to church anyways. And so they all get out of the minivan, and they start running, but then they fall down, asthma. God says, listen, you need a new heart. And the rabbis teach that this wasn't punishment. Mm. It was a honeymoon. Forty years in the desert, mm. all food provided by the living God. Mm. Clothes didn't wear out. God himself tabernacled with his people. Right. It's a honeymoon.
And so there should be an expectancy and a longing, even in the midst of your journey, that God is not just waiting someday to reveal himself to you in the heavenlies, that that journey is actually very important to him. And he's honeymooning with you right there where you are. You know, God doesn't expose our heart to blast us. Mm. He exposes our heart to heal us. He exposes our heart so that he can say, do you really want to carry that? During this season, I just encourage you, if God gets a hold of your heart in that way, there may be a new surrender for you. Maybe you need to surrender fears or expectations or you've become discouraged. And I'd encourage you to surrender as you lean into this time of longing together as a community. So good. Thanks. So good. Um, A second dynamic from the New Testament that comes along with this idea of waiting is um, it's it's almost too mild to use the word waiting. It's longing. It's it's, it's not like you're waiting in in the lobby of the bank for some teller to or waiting at the doctor's office. It's, it's more desperate than that. Okay? So we need to kind of make sure that we don't fall into sort of this overly casual, overly comfortable approach or understanding of waiting. These people are longing, desperately longing. Um, and, and we see this in, in some of the early songs in the New Testament. Uh, specifically, I'll look at Mary's song. This is in Luke chapter 1, if you want to read it along with me. Um, and it's on, let me find the page number for you really quickly because it's a little too much to put up on the screen. Um, like 715 or so. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, receives the news that she's going to carry, uh, not just that the Messiah is coming, but she's going to carry the Messiah. And one of the ways she responds to this news is with this song. Um, and, and this is what she, she sings. This is in the first chapter of Luke, starting with verse 47. She sings, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Now listen specifically to what it is for which she is longing. What has been exposed, to use Joshua's, what has been exposed in her time of waiting? What has been revealed about the condition of her heart? Well, probably a lot of things, but one of them is for this dramatic reversal of the injustice that she's experienced and her people have experienced. Look at verse 52. She is praising God saying, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel Remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So what she's longing for is salvation. What she's longing for is, is, it's not that the rich are inherently bad. It's that in her context, the rich have become rich on the backs of the servant class of the slave, the slave race of the Jews. And so she is longing for this uh, restoration 
of this absolute oppression that has defined their experience for so long. So we hear Mary longing not just for the coming of the Messiah, but, but more specifically for, for restoration, for justice. She's longing for justice. She's, she's longing for those who have been oppressed to be freed. She's longing for those who have been pushed to starvation to finally be filled with good things. Uh, she's been waiting for so long, and in her context, being one of the waiting ones has meant that she has been longing for the violent and the oppressing forces in her life to be brought down and for the humble to finally be lifted up. It's like, will, will all this wrong stuff ever be made right? That's what she's longing for. And as I look around us today and I hear the news, this, friends, is, this, this sounds like the kind of waiting that is happening in much of our country, in much of the world. Oh, it's way too mild to call it waiting. It's longing. This is so wrong. This is so, this is so broken. When will somebody come and do something about this? In other words, it's not just this mild, tame, um, you know, cozy little Christmas story. Of course that doesn't move us because we're longing for justice in areas where there has been oppression. We're longing for peace where there's been violence, right? And this is what they are uh, longing for. And this is the kind of waiting that I want. This is the kind of thing that I want to characterize my waiting. If, if my expectation of the Messiah does not come with some sense that broken things will be made right, I'm missing the point. Okay? It's become way too personal and self-serving. No, my expectation, my waiting in this season should be marked with longing. And specific, specifically, it should be longing for restoration of broken things. It should be longing for justice in areas where there is no justice. All right, All right brother, why don't you yeah. take something? You know, um, longing and, and heart desire like that. Um, have you noticed how often uh, people in the scriptures break into songs? Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. Like, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm a worshiper. I, I really love worship. It's a big part of, uh, of in fact, why I thought God didn't want me to be a rabbi was like, I was the worship guy, right? You know, I was the one that like, I, want, I just want to sing love songs to Jesus all day. And, and I think God was like, I could use that. That's cool. <laughs> Have you ever broken into song when Amazon delivers that package? <laughs> there we go. Probably Blaine. not. There's Probably the challenge. No. I want to hear it. So I just, you know, it's interesting. My, Shelly my recording kids, <laughs> my kids were longing for a dog for a long time, right? And uh, we, were, we were renting a home, and we could not have a dog. And so, you know, it was almost like this prophecy. One day, <laughs> we will move into a home, and there will be a fuzzy creature with four legs. And, you know, it was yeah, like, yeah. and so, like, our kids knew that the moment that we actually moved in, so we, we moved into our home, and, uh, and, like, one of the very first conversations was, it's DOG time, let's go, let's do this, right? We got a dog, uh, a sweet little fuzzy thing. Her name is Izzy. Our children wrote love songs. I kid you not, love songs about Izzy. Izzy, we love you. She's like, we love you so, you're so fuzzy and cute. And your tongue is pink, it's amazing. We love you. You know, it's just like, and as a dad, I'm just like, oh, I finally did something right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> and it's, it's that sense of, like, have you ever loved something so much that you just needed to break into song? It's what I love, actually, about Rabbi Shaul, is what we call him Paul. Paul, in the book of Romans, breaks into song. Did you know that? He's writing about the mystery of the reality of what is happening to the Jewish people right now, which is God has allowed a blindness in the eyes of my Jewish people and a deafness in our ears until the fullness of the nations comes in. And rather than be angry at God, Paul breaks into song and he says, who can know the thoughts of God? Because that would not be my longing. My longing for my people is that every eye would see that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And that their hearts would be made alive and we would see the restoration of all things in our lifetime. Mm. But God is God and I am not. And there are two ways to encounter the absolute reality of God. One is to fight and to kick against it and the other is to break into song. Mm. Moses, Exodus 15. I think we were at page 715, and we're going to go way back. We're going to go to page 15, and we're going to read it in the original Hebrew. I'm just kidding. It's page. No, it's not. It's Exodus 15, but it's page 49. There we go. Page 49. Now, this is just after watching the redemption, longing. Talk about longing. You know, it's 160 years or so, uh, uh, maybe a little bit less than that of, like, real oppressive, brutal slavery, destruction of the people, and they've just seen God bring them through on dry land and destroy the enemies that were pursuing them. And Moses breaks into song. This is Exodus 15. We'll just start at the beginning, and I'm going to read 17 chapters. Here we go. (laughs) Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength. He is my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. We actually sing this song almost word for word every single Passover. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. And we just, like, after a while, it's almost like a, like a kind of, like, country, I will sing unto the Lord. And just, everybody's dancing after, whoa! And we're just screaming to the Lord. You need to celebrate the good things he's done. Right. You know, God will do ten miracles in your life, and the enemy will highlight the one thing God didn't do. And you sing loud about those ten things. Make up a little song. Mm -hmm. I found a parking space. It was super awesome, super close, and I don't really have to sweat a whole lot today. I don't know what to thank him for little things, for the little victories. And that even is a reminder to your heart, and it's a reminder to those around you that your hope, your trust is in him. And anything that we have that is good has come from the hand of the Lord. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots, his army, he is hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. You can see the Jewish people singing this year after year after year. And why? 
Because otherwise we forget. Don't we? Do you have people in your life that God did amazing things in their life and they have completely forgotten? Mm. You have family members that used to be so close with God and he had done so many good things. And maybe if they had just written a song about it, Mm. they would still be with him. Instead of listening to the lie that the one broken thing is what you should fixate on, you should sing songs of glory to the Lord. And I just love the contrast of we have Mary's song in the New Testament Mm -hmm. and her rejoicing in what God is doing and he's bringing a savior and we're going to see it with our eyes. And I love that we have a Miriam here in the Old Testament too who is a prophetess, we're reminded. She's a prophetess. And her prophetic gift here isn't actually about the future. It's about what God has done. She takes the women out in dance before the Lord with tambourines, and I don't think it was quiet and timid. I think it was wild and probably freaked out the guys a bit. And I'm serious. And she starts screaming, all of them are screaming this out, and they're just crying out this song. And and there's this reality. Miriam the prophet, this is verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, so the sister of the Kohen HaGadol, the high priest, she took a timbrel in her hand. She took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Have you ever seen a woman freed from something in her life? Mm. And just the broken glory of God on her as she praises the king for setting her free. And it is infectious. Mm -hmm. And it sweeps through a whole community. And so I want to encourage you in two ways. Literally sing songs to God. Literally. When you gather in these moments and you're singing God with us, don't be ashamed of your love. Remember the good things he has done for you. And sing it loud. The world will sing the most horrible songs really loud. Glorifying drugs and sex and just lust of every kind. And then we're like really timid like, yes, Jesus loves me. No! Yes, Jesus loves me. And he loves you. And he set me free. And we begin to sing like that with that kind of passion and live lives where we're just like our life is a song of appreciation of what God has done. And every year at this time, we don't just remember God coming to be with us, but all of the things he has done this year where he has been Emmanuel, God with you. Make a list. Make it into a song. Sing it. Teach it to your children. Why? Because children will forget, but songs they don't. Boom, deep into the heart. Why do you think the enemy writes these horrible songs? Because it gets into the hearts of people. It begins to transform the spiritual reality and fabric of who a person is. So sing songs. We actually sing part of this every single Shabbat. Mika Beli Madonai. Mika mocha neda bakodesh, 
This is from Moses' song. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? There are all these false gods in the world, and they are a joke compared to our God. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? So sing some songs. I mean, really. And when you guys gather together, don't be ashamed of your love. Sing loud. Every description I've ever read of heavenly worship, pretty loud. <laughs> yeah, pretty loud. That's, good. that's yeah. good. Good. Well, I'll just wrap it up with this question. Last week we asked, is there room in your heart for Jesus? He's the one that's coming. Is there room? And today I just want to leave you with this question. Are, are you waiting? Are, are you waiting? In a sense, we're the waiting ones, but we kind of need to choose to be a part of that community. We, we choose to identify with that group. We, we choose to uh, allow that characteristic to define us. Are you, are you waiting? Or has this just become way too monotonous and uh, just part of the background of your life? Are, are you waiting? And to get a little bit more specific in, in, in regard or in the form of a bit of a summary here, do, do you feel lost? Is there any sense of need? <laughs> or are you good? Because if you're good... Uh, we just need to kind of open it up a little bit more honestly, okay? So are, is there a sense of lostness or a confusion? Can you name that and be honest with that? What is being revealed about your heart in this season of wandering, to use Josh's language? Could, in fact, this be a honeymoon, this season of waiting, when and during which that thing, maybe it's a good thing that you're waiting for, a good provision, but... Right now, it's just you and God. And so could, that be, could, that be a, could there be a sweetness instead of a bitterness in this season of, of waiting? Yeah. Are you longing for justice? Are you longing for restoration? Or does everything look pretty fine? Because if everything looks pretty fine for you, you're choosing not to see some things. Um, so is there any kind of longing that's a fire and a fuel in, in your waiting? And then, and then finally, Josh's point. Can, is there joy in your waiting? Uh, is, is there fuel for a song? Do you need to remember something that God did for you maybe years ago, maybe last week, maybe something small like the provision of breakfast this morning, maybe something massive like the return of a prodigal son, right? And uh, could, that be, could that be like the, the fuel for worship in your life? As you wait, could you be singing? Uh, could, could, could joy characterize us in waiting versus this. Oh, come on, come on. Could there be joy in this season? Amen. 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 Let's pray together. We're so grateful, Lord, for uh, the, the beauty of your people and the word that has been preserved and passed down to us. And uh, we just thank you for a little glimpse into uh, more of our, our heritage, our history, more of the, the wealth and the richness of, um, of this thing we call our faith in you. And I pray that our hearts would be all yours and that we would be waiting actively with expectation, fully, emotionally, physically, looking for action, willing to be part of the solution 
waiting. And so come, Lord Jesus. We are the waiting ones. Uh, Come soon, we pray. Amen. Amen.